Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. I'm Floyd Hall. Be Your Own Muse is presented as an extension of the museum's exhibition programming. In this episode, we present part two of a two-part conversation with visual artist Deborah Roberts in conjunction with Deborah Roberts, The Evolution of Mimi, on display from January 25th through May 19th, 2018. There's a, a, a series of, of, of text work mm-hmm. where you highlight uh, either real or maybe imagined um, names of, uh, of black women. These are all names. Okay. Yeah. Um, real names for okay. real people. I just wanted to make sure uh, <laughs> and, and let you clarify that. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, well, let me bring in some some Atlanta culture here. One of the 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 favorite memes or social media phrases, you know, as of now is Atlanta has a mayor named Keisha. Mm-hmm. Where I love every, it. you know, and yeah. it's it's it says a lot in that, mm-hmm. um, in just that very short phrase. But I would love for you to maybe talk about how you approach. Um, or, or how you even think around uh, black women and their names and being able to lead with that and not mm-hmm. wanting to pull back from that. Right. Well, when I first started to do this this pro- project with black, it was called Black Sounding Names, but the, the series is Sovereignty. I changed it to Sovereignty. Well, when I asked my friends, Send me names, you know, all sorts of names that you hear that people, that black women name their children. And I started to get, I, I think I got about 250 names. And, um, and I, I, you know, I was laughing just like everybody else. And then I was talking to my friend who was a scholar. And she said, wait a minute, Deb, just wait a minute. She said, the first act of freedom after slavery was black people naming, being able to have first names. I mean, because normally that wasn't happening. And she said, that is something very powerful in being able to name your child. And think about that. So I did. So when I started to start writing down all the names, because I was trying to figure out what what this work was going to be about. And I remember just typing them all in from a little book and then looking at the computer and all the red lines under it. The one thing in Western Dictionary said that was wrong was all these names. And we are part of society. We are, we are a subculture of American culture. So that was the work that America had said these names were wrong. And they're not. They're part of America just like anything else. So so I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I started putting the red lines under each one. And then I blew them up. And then I let them stand alone. We were here since 1619. There is something very powerful in having these types of names. We, I mean, they have to do with classism. We somehow made them very ghetto. I mean, we, we make fun of them. We say they're ghetto names and stuff like that. But no one ever talks about if your name is Harper, you know, or, you know, Grace or something like that. That is, you know, Brillo or whatever name, uh, Bristol. And but when your name is Keisha or uh, Tawana or Rochelle, somehow it, it becomes class less, and 
what I wanted to do was challenge that notion. So in my series, Pluralism, where I put them in book forms, that this is literary, this is a literary thing that says maybe we're not in Webster's idea of grammar, what's proper use of grammar and texture, but we are, and the pages that we're building need to be volumes, as I said before, and the great novel of America. I would like to add to that a little bit because you you mentioned how within the black community, these names are both, you know, there's some some agency because Mm -hmm. someone is naming Mm -hmm. their child, but also Mm -hmm. immediately after then there are, you know, there are jokes and it becomes Mm -hmm. funny. And I I wonder where that comes from, because it, it, it almost seems like we're making a statement but yet we're then ridiculing that same statement or maybe even undercutting that same agency mm-hmm. um, within that. And and I want to bring an example into this. I remember when I was in New York, I had a few friends who were from Korea. And when most of them mm-hmm. would um, immigrate here, mm-hmm. they would change their name to an American name. Mm-hmm. So within their family, within their home, mm-hmm. they would still use, let's say mm-hmm. the name began with an S. Mm-hmm. They would still use their given mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. but in the world they would be called Stephen. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And there was always this sort of dichotomy of, this is my American name, this is my real name. Right. Um, but they never lost the respect for their real name, or right. it was never right. a joke among them. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder maybe where that comes from, where we have the agency, but then we mm-hmm. take it back, or we right. diminish it. I think it comes from being slaves. I think that there somehow something that is blackness that we have been traumatized to think that it is not beautiful and worth, you know, a lot. And sometimes it's sometimes we'll say, Oh well, she went and named her kid one of those black names, you know, somehow you cripple that person because that person is not no longer westernized. And so I think that's when we make fun of it because we don't understand that that is our power and that we need to accept it. Somehow it is diminished by other things. Um, I think that's why we make fun of it. I even me, remember I told you I started laughing. I, some of these names I cannot pronounce. And I just make fun of them and laugh and then I change it you know I've changed it like um, when we did the LaDasha piece and one of my friends gave me that name and she spelled L-A-A and I kept saying she said what is it I was like L-A I couldn't figure it out and she said La and like the dash is like spelled out the dash Uh, and I just just broke out laughing I thought it was hilarious but that is really smart you know that someone could think of that and and make these people make these names and the women behind these names individual. No one else has these names, and I think it's great. I mean, my name is Deborah. How common uh, is that name? I will say this about about Deborah is that uh, she was the first woman warrior in the Bible. So yes, it's a wonderful name, but it's a very common name. It's nothing special about that. And it's something, Sharkesia, man. I mean, be shark. How great is it to have shark in your name? That means you are a powerful person. And you're going to go after it and get it, whatever it is, you know. We're almost done here, but I wanted to maybe um, ask you about notions of of blackness and Americanness. Um, Mm -hmm. As someone who 
who is from Austin, lives in Texas, very, uh, I guess, patriotic, mm-hmm. you know, America, mm-hmm. you know, place. Um, I wanted to ask you about when you went to Paris. Oh, wow. I want to ask you about your time in, 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 in Paris because I recall you saying something um, in an earlier moment mm-hmm. where you felt, you felt free. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about you, you felt freedom to be more American or was it freedom to not be black? Or, no. or or not let me rephrase that was it was it your full acceptance as an american in mm-hmm. that in that in that moment with your blackness right exactly i was just an american who happened to be black but it it was the, i always tell people if you haven't went over there and experienced that as an american and as an african american it is the most beautiful thing in the world all the stuff that we carry daily, this armor I talked about, it peels away. Because you walk into a store and people are happy to see you. They're happy to, 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 to work with you or whatever you need. I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own experiences about Paris. I mean, I was there for a long time, so I got a chance to really experience. It was so amazing. I mean, I didn't know what to do with that. And even my art changed for a little bit because it was it was the amount it's what I think privilege is to go around and exist in a world where you are not looked at as a thief or um, or someone out to do harm or um, you know not someone who loves their family and all things like that. But you always you, you're bringing other things with you instead of just a human being walking to the store to get an apple. And for me, it is the best experience. I mean, I had dreadlocks at that time. And when I got back to U.S., I cut them off. I mean, because it was, for me, me cutting mine off was about, you know, when I was here, I was black and I'm proud. And, you know, I had my natural hair and, you you know, you can't bother me. And I had to, but when I went to Paris, all of that went away. Like I said, it went away to the form that I was a human. And then I was like, I don't even know if I want dreadlocks anymore because it was a choice at that point because I felt like I didn't need them as, you know, a weapon in that sense of the word weapon. Um, So I cut them off, and, you know, it did not last long. I was here, I think I was home for about five weeks before I was back in it, you know. So what does that moment that, that respite mean for you personally? Is that something that you want to continue to try to experience? Would it? Would you ever consider leaving? leaving? I know. I have considered leaving. Now with all the success I've had and an artist, I can live wherever I want. Uh, Malta, Italy, I would love to live there. I would love to live in a place where people see me more as human. Taking the baggage as American. I don't want to be... Trump's America, American, but you know, just because I have to argue that point, that would drive me nuts. Um, but just going as being an American and all the things that people think of America, then I can I can fight that, but I don't want to fight the whole blackness thing there too. So yeah, I could see myself living in London or Malta, like I said, and uh, Rome. You know. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your success. 
and the notion of of value mm-hmm. and there is I think the context for this is that black bodies, black people, black women are valued differently mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. But your work is selling. You yeah. are becoming more and more successful. Mm-hmm. So how do you perceive, even on a personal level, maybe the, the shift in in that value of, of who you are and what you're about? Mm-hmm. I think from, for me as an artist, my, I mean, doing Little Girls, my work isn't threatening. It is palatable until you get on it and it reveals itself. So, yeah, I think the the drive to the work right now is because it is palatable and it's talking also to this this issue of of self and um, and power. Um, I don't know. I have to think about it. I don't know if I'm answering that question. I know what you're getting at because, you know, what is about this work or or works like this that are moving off the walls very frequently now? I don't know if it's because of Trumpism. I mean, I was asked, uh, um, um, a writer from SF uh, SF, uh, Weekly asked me that same thing. Is it because of Trump do you think part of your success and I was thinking that I've always been successful as an artist, but even doing the um, the black romantic work. I think if you're in tune with what people are trying to tell you, people don't listen. And you take those those ideas and you formulate them and you put them on the paper. I think I think when people see that and they recognize that, that draws them to it, and they they find some kinship in that work. Um, like I said, I always want you to see me as a human. Look at these girls. That's why the gaze is directly at you, to see me, see who I am. And I think, like with other artists like Wingate Mutu and, you know, even Micheline Thomas and um, a lot of, you know, Amy Sherrill, look at the work that she's doing right now, which is amazing. And that's also moving off the wall. I mean, I, and Kende Wiley and things like that. There's a, there's a pride there. There is a... Um, you know, a stand, you know, and I think it is standing up for and against. So I think that's one of the reasons why the black art right now, and I hate the term black art, but works by African-American artists are so very popular right now. In closing, I know that so much of this work kind of straddles the fence between, you know, your your childlike self, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but also with your adult sensibilities mm-hmm. in it. Um, yeah. What, or, you know, will there ever be a moment where these same works or the approach to this work, to this collage work, may exist showing older women? Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give you a scoop. Okay. So um, okay. Okay. I'm doing, uh, uh, New York Magazine has asked me to do, 11 works for their upcoming issue. and But couture clothes, using fashion clothes, can't go on little girls. They have to be on adult women. I've done 11 works featuring adult women, black women, between the ages of 19 and 22. And this is work that I saw myself doing five years from now that I had to do, I had to stop and stop this stuff. 
and do that. And that, it was very eye-opening because the faces, what I wanted to say, was still relevant to the little girls. The only difference was the couture clothes. I wouldn't put my girls in Prada, but uh, uh, Dolce Cabana, you know, Versace. But but the idea of what I wanted to do, the same language was in the works. So I can see that. And little boys. I'm going to, I have a show at Mass Mocha in 2018. I'm going to have little boys. I'm going to start introducing males into this, this, this dynamic, this, this discussion. I think males is different. It's gonna, I think it's going to be more painful because of things that are happening to, to young males. Um, I'm going to have to be ready for it. So we'll see. Deborah Roberts, thank you for your time. Thank you.